Jennifer Janicek here, Director of Content Strategy for Sound Wisdom. We're here today with two of our authors, Allison Van Hooser and Philip Van Hooser, author, uh, authors of the book Accelerate Your Success, 30-Day Journey to Elevate Your Performance and Fuel Your Professional Growth. Um, we're so excited about this book. Allison and Phil are leadership experts who know the strategies to thrive and ignite your professional success in the modern business world. So we're excited to dig in to some of the principles mentioned in the book and just talk about, you know, what it takes to excel in a really shifting professional landscape. So thanks so much for being here today with us. Thank you so much, Jen. Phil and I are excited for people listening right off the bat. Let us just say we are not a husband and wife duo. <laughs> we get that all the time. We are a father-in-law, daughter-in-law, father, daughter-in-law, duo. We're excited to talk with you today. We hope that this book provides a really helpful, valuable, multi-generation perspective on success in today's world. And Jen, I tell you, it's a real treat, number one, to talk with you and to have this book come out through Sound Wisdom. It's uh, It's been a wonderful working relationship, but this has been special to have the opportunity to work on this particular project with my daughter-in-law. We bring, as she said, a multi-generational perspective, but we also bring different viewpoints in some areas. And so hopefully it'll be an interesting read for those who uh, go out and get them a copy and they'll find different perspectives, but those perspectives all lead back to what success yeah. looks like and how it can be achieved. I think it'll be a fun read and a beneficial read for a lot of folks. Absolutely. I loved having the two different voices throughout the book um, and not having, you know, one voice straight through having them, you know, mixed up, but then ultimately, you know, seeing that throughout the book, there were certain threads that were unifying, uh, you know, your perspectives so that we could see that these are time tested, you know, essentials for success, not, you know, there's some newer things some trendy things, but ultimately, you know, they're coming back to the same so I'd love to hear about, you know, it's a very unique perspective having multiple, you know, generational perspectives in the same book. Why do you think that's important to have two different perspectives from two different generations in the same, in the same book? Well, uh, as many people know, um, we recognize that there's at least up to five generations in the workplace today. And that's never happened before. If it has, I'm not aware of it. And not only are they there, they're in a very functional roles. We've got people that are 70 years old, for example, who might be working next to people who are 20 years old. That's a 50 year spread. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that we recognize that success is always, always important to any generation, but that success may look a little bit differently or the path to success might be a little bit different from one generation to another. And so Allison and I have the opportunity to talk about that from our unique perspectives, and I think it works. And uh, I'll add to that, a lot of the clients that we work with, they value us coming at things from different perspectives because how we talk resonates with certain people. How, the stories that I use, the illustrations, uh, the song references, whatever it is, it's sometimes very different than what Phil uses. So we can talk to different people in an audience in a way that if we were by ourselves, we might not be able to do and to connect as well. Yeah, I love that. So the principles are the same. You agree mostly on the principles, but the stories and the application points can be different. And so you, you are, you're sure to have your content then resonate with different audiences. So you mentioned that you know success might be different for different people. Do you think that there is any single definition for success? 
that you could both agree on? Like, what is success? Go. Well, first of all, let me answer two questions. Do I think there's any single definition? No, I don't. I think everybody has their own definition for success. Do we have something we can agree on? Kinda. Kinda. I have my definition of success. She has her definition of success. But as you said earlier, it sort of it sort of comes together in the end in terms of the outcome. I'll let her share hers first, if you wish, or I can go first. Which would you like? Okay. So the thing that's funny is I kind of know what he's going to say. He knows what I'm going to say, <laughs> and they do. They align. So I would say the way Alison Van Hooser would define success today would be being able to achieve your top goals. So. I know how he defines success and I've lived by that and I still agree with that, but I would take it um, on the same track, but just get down even more granular and say that there's so much that many of us want to do, whether it's working and teaching a class or working and being involved in the community and being a good parent and this whole long list. To me, success is being able to achieve the top, whether it's the top two or the top three, it's being able to do that and having the confidence to say yes to what will get you there and no to what won't. That to me is success. Some of our viewers may have taken an economics class or two somewhere along the way. Allison and I are both business majors and so we certainly had to. There's what they call macroeconomics and then there's what they call microeconomics. Macroeconomics is sort of looking at the big picture whereas microeconomics is focused on a more specific or granular kind of an approach. Now that would be my very, very, uh, very casual definition of macro and microeconomics. If you want to use that as an illustration, what what Allison has just described is what the micro approach is, the goals, the objectives, what they're trying to accomplish. And certainly I agree with that as well. But my definition is more macro in, in focus or in scope. My definition of, of success has been, and I think always will be, success equals choices. I simply believe that the more choices that we have, the more opportunity we have to be successful. The fewer choices we have, the less the opportunities. And frankly, the one that scares me most is when we don't have any choices that we are making for ourselves. Somebody else is making our choices for us. Mm -hmm. And so my perspective on success is I'm always trying to pre uh, prepare myself and put myself in a position to have more choices, not fewer choices. Now, this goes back to what Allison was saying. The goals and objectives themselves then we either choose to focus on those or we choose to, you know, sort of jettison them and move to a different area. But but I think we're in the same uh, we're in the same ballpark. I certainly believe in the importance of goals and goal focus. She she understands the importance of having choices to make along the way. And, and we all come together with it. And, and that's covered. Both of those perspectives are covered in the book. Right. Yeah. So, you know, an individual might need to define it for themselves. Do you think that's an important first step before they're even beginning this 30 day journey or any you know, journey? Uh, Jen, you know, as well as I do, that if you don't know where you're going, almost any road will take you there. Lewis it's Carol. when you finally identify that objective and set forth on that on that approach or on that tr on that road to the goal accomplishment. There are going to be choices along the way. You just make those that keep you focused on where you're going. So, yeah, I think it's important that the individual reader decides what his or her goals are. And then I think the information that we share will be helpful to them. Yeah, absolutely. I'll add this to that. Um, I think it's important that they figure out what their goal is, but then also communicate that. Because my goal in that, so we work a lot with corporate groups, my goal 
in doing a certain job in an organization may be one thing and someone else let's say i reported to phil his was another if if he thinks my goal is to make 30 trillion dollars and he doesn't understand why i check out at 501 because my goal might be more family time then we could have two people who become very conflicted there might be a lot of confrontation if we don't uh, communicate our expectations or communicate what our goals are mm. in the first place yeah, absolutely. And lack of communication might feed into, you know, the question I'm about to ask. So I think it's definitely a problem in today's, you know, work world. Um, are there any tendencies that professionals might have that undercut their success that you're going to address, that you do address in this book that help people you know, overcome these tendencies, maybe lack of communication. Also, maybe a willingness, Phil, you know, to go back to what you said, Phil, about, you know, having people control you know your choices not having any choices i think maybe some people nowadays don't even realize you know that they're giving up that control and not right. making intentional choices but what are some tendencies that you think that might be thwarting people's professional success nowadays i think i think there's a could be any an unlimited number of these depending upon the individual and the circumstance i'll just mm -hmm. throw two or three out maybe you can come up with a couple more as well um number one i think just old habits you know, if someone establishes a habit and habits are good, make no difference, make no mistake about that. Habits keep us safe. Habits are uh, help us stay healthy and so on and so forth. But habits, if we uh, if we don't realize that habits are limiting us in terms of learning new things, trying new things, going new places, then habits themselves can be a limitor or a distractor, if you will, towards success. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things I would say is be careful about the habits, good or bad, that you create to make sure that they're aligned with your goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is that people get, uh, I, when I say people, I, that's a sweeping, sweeping um, uh, category, of course, mm -hmm. but too many people, I'll put it that way, too many people get satisfied with what they know when there's so much else out there that they could learn whether it's about generational issues, which we've already touched on, or whether it's about opportunities that are out there that are also available. I think sometimes we get too stagnant or too complacent that we just sort of stay where we are. That, could, that too can be habitual, but it also gives us um, a feeling of comfort when in fact we're actually limiting our choices and the opportunities for the future. I, I, those would be two things that I would say. I'm sure yeah. Allison has more. That's a good one. I think that the list can be endless and it's very unique to the person, but two that were on my mind today as we were thinking about, you know, talking with you. One was um, the tendency to avoid confrontational conversations, mm -hmm. even thinking about generations in the workforce and defining our goals, what those are, being willing to step up and say, I'm going to address this, even if it might be hard, we're going to have this conversation. I think that your tendency might be, many people's, is to avoid confrontation. Yeah. When we ask that question, we're in a training session, how many of you all wake up and you're like, I can't wait to fight today? <laughs> and there's always a few. I mean, there are a few people who are like, yes, bring it on. But for the most part, people are like, no way. And what we see is that there there can be a lot of good come out of confrontation. So that's, that's just one thing on my mind. The other thing is when life gets stressful, we, instead of taking an action that would move us further towards our goal, we take an action that feels good in the moment. Mm -hmm. So, man, I've got so much going on. I'm so stressed. Let me go spend 10 minutes just scrolling TikToks just to get some entertainment, just to take a minute to take a minute to what we think is to do is self-care. 
but actually we're taking ourselves further away from where we want to be. Um, I think a lot of us are guilty of, now I'm, I'm like leaning my head towards Phil, but that's only because we're sitting towards each other. A lot of us, including Allison Van Hooser, can be guilty sometimes of, you know, doing things that don't always move us forward. When if we were just more focused and made our tendency, our habit to be something that was going to help us just be more aware of that, I think that we'd all be more successful. Jen, I'll throw one more thing. We kind of have, we have this unique opportunity, Allison and I, to work together on this book, but we also work together in our speaking and training careers as well. And the simple fact that we have someone to hold us accountable, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, we'll set a goal, a joint goal that's good for both of us that we both agree on. And then we set some sort of landmarks along the way or some markers along the way. And we go, mm-hmm. okay, this is what we're going to do. And then we hold each other accountable. So what did you get done when we were writing this book? You know, uh, when do you, did you get your chapter done this week? Or are you, are you ahead? Jen's going to call us. So let's make sure that we're that where we need to be. But, but I think it also always helps if we have an accountability partner, someone we like, someone we trust, someone we, we respect, but also someone who likes, trusts, respects, and knows us. And I think that also helps in, in creating and focusing on that, on that success journey. That's a great point. But I have to say, you both are always, you're always ahead. So <laughs> I can't imagine that you would. That's good. Like, We're proud. You're always ahead of me. So that's good. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, having an accountability partner, that's something that people mention a lot. I'm not sure how many people actually, you know, have one, but maybe that's one of the reasons that, you know, so many people are stalled in their success journeys that they're not checking in if it's not, you know, created in say their workspace for them by default, you know, but that we, maybe we need to personally seek this out on our own. I am, I could definitely see how that would be a key for, you know, peak performers? Are there other traits or qualities or, you know, similarities that peak performers might share aside from, you know, an accountability partner? I think there's a lot of traits that high performing individuals have that they don't always even realize they have. I, uh, in my work for the last 40 plus years, I've had the wonderful opportunity to work with really, really talented really high achieving individuals. And I found some commonality in those sort of relationships, even though they might not have known it. Uh, One is, uh, and these are in no particular order, so don't say this is number one, number two, number three. But one is that they're never satisfied. And I don't mean that they're dissatisfied, but they're never satisfied with what they have done what they have done is an opportunity to learn, to grow, and to refocus on what they can do. You know, I, I personally think it's such a sad commentary that many people live their entire lives, whether that's 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and at the end they say things like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have tried, I wish I would have gotten involved. And so. Those, those high-performing individuals are always setting their goals, and it goes back to goal creation that Allison talked about, but they're setting their mark, their goal, their, their, their focus on something that's still down the road, not something that they've just done already. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's a number of others. I don't, want, I don't want to limit Allison's opportunity to share, but, you know, there's just something to be said for work ethic, just mm-hmm. staying with it. And what I mean, you know, there are some people that are really good sprinters, but then they get to the end of the, the line, whatever that goal, and then they just stop, you know? 
I, I prefer those people who are the marathoners that just keep plugging along and they may not be the fastest through the first mile or the second or even the 10th or 12th mile, but at the 26th mile, there's nobody else around because everybody else has dropped out. You know, that's the kind of person I guess I want to be. I want to be that marathoner that continues to develop skill sets that will drive me and lead me and allow me to have a career and success for an extended period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add, so the thing I would add to this conversation, and it's something you messaged me about in LinkedIn the other day, is empathy. And if you read in this book, I think there's somewhere in there where it talks about adaptability, before adapt, being able to adapt to the people around you, um, the circumstances that you're in in order to be successful. But what I think that we miss a lot of times is we don't correctly understand the expectations or the needs of people around us. So we might adapt in a way that doesn't help us. Well, first of all, we might not adapt anyways because we think that we shouldn't have to change or we shouldn't have to do that or we shouldn't have to work that hard, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, the excuse in the blank. But the other one might be that, hey, I'm exhausting myself trying to do all of this for everybody else and I'm not getting the results we want. Well, it might be that you don't understand the need, but I also think of um, Apple, Steve Jobs. I was thinking about them from an adaptability, empathy perspective the other day. Sometimes we're trying to uncover people uncover people's needs they don't even know what they want so when we think about the, when the iphone first came out there probably weren't a lot of people if you said what do you want from your phone from technology there was probably nobody sitting around saying man i'd love to have a computer in my pocket that also took pictures like nobody was thinking that that would even be their need so you couldn't even ask that mm -hmm. but the ability to constantly ask questions, ask the right questions, ask questions mm -hmm. that cause curiosity, then you can uncover needs that people may not even realize they have, but once it's uncovered, bam, you're on a roll. Yeah. You see what she does? Bam. That's how she keeps me working too. That's the accountability partner right there. Um, I love that idea, Allison, about inquisitiveness, you know, asking questions, asking the right questions, just being curious. And I think sometimes we can let that posture go by the wayside you know when we become so you know goal focused or focus on just completing tasks you know and just having that openness can be something that sets innovators apart sets leaders apart and others in their journey i agree with you jen yeah okay so now let's get to the juicy part here i want to hear do you are there any success factors that you all disagree with? Like one of you thinks this is so crucial for success. This is the X factor and you have to have it. And the other person's like, no, that's totally not important at all. In my well, let me say, she's going to start this one, but let me say behind us is sort of the name of our company, uh, or at least a part of the company that we do together. We call it the man and the millennial. Now, yeah. why do we say that? Well, first of all, my grandchildren, her children and other of my grandchildren call me the man, not grandpa, <laughs> not gramps, the man. She, on the other hand, is certain to be in this millennial category. So when you put a man and a millennial in this discussion, you got to figure there's going to be a rub here someplace. So I'll let her start in terms of the differences that we have relative to our approach to uh, our approach to success. But I, again, I think you'll find that in the end, we coalesce, we come together and it's, it's not that much of a difference anyway. So we'll wrap this up with a nice pretty bow. There is nothing that Phil and I are 
head to head about. We were sitting sitting at the table with someone else who was asking us or was saying, you know, the man and the millennial show would be great because you could have all of these different ideas and sort of fight over what's right and wrong. We've even talked about that from a professionalism perspective, what younger people think is professional professional versus what older people do. What I would say that we agree on for success is that you have to have a clear goal. You have to be able to work hard for it. And that's not always fun or easy. And then you have to be willing to celebrate once you get there. Yeah. And the other thing I would add to that is not only do, is the, the clear goal work hard in the celebration, but realizing that the more selfish we are, the more limiting we are. Oh, yes. We have to be more collaborative. We've got mm -hmm. now this is I'm talking to myself now. Uh, I'm in the tail end of my career and I recognize that. And I wish looking back that I would have been far more collaborative. I wish I would have found an Allison 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whether she's my daughter-in-law or whatever, I wish I'd have found someone that would challenge me on a daily basis. Frankly, Jen, I wish I would have found someone like you and sound wisdom who gave us opportunities, but said, now we want this to not be a, a decent book. We want this to be a good book that will have lasting lessons for people. And, and you know, those kinds of collaborations make us all better, I believe. So yeah, there has to be a goal. Yeah, we have to work hard. Yeah, we have to make that effort and so on and so forth. But I also think doing it with others, people we like, respect, trust, just makes the whole process not only more fun, more profitable in the end. I gotta say one other thing to top that off. The places we disagree don't matter in the big picture. If we're talking about what is, I keep going back to professionalism because that was on my mind coming in today. But if we talk about what is professionalism or how do we measure performance, is it input or output? When all is said and done, the little things can, you know, if we get stuck on them, they can make the journey feel like it's not worth it. But if we focus mm -hmm. on what's the goal, what's the outcome that we're trying to achieve here, then I think that um, that can create a win-win relationship for both the person who's trying to be successful and everybody who um, hopefully is impacted by that. One thing I would say, Jen, is the, one of the primary goals of this book is not just to talk about what we have found mm -hmm. uh, for success for ourselves, but we want to share with our readers and hopefully many readers who are also looking for those, those timeless, those time-tested truths that, that lead from an individual from wherever they are to a higher, more, more significant level of success. Then we celebrate with them as well as them celebrating with the people that are important in their lives. This is why, this is why we write, this is why we talk, this is why we teach, because it gives us an opportunity to make a difference with others. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely think it will. I mean, there's so many really great stories and principles that will help, you know, anybody looking to advance their career and grow personally as well. I mean, there's so much just individually aside from professionalism that people can gain from this book. Um, I wanted to go back to something else you mentioned in thinking about professionalism. I know that that can be sort of a hot button word in today's world, especially with different generations. You know, older generations might complain that younger generations are not professional enough. Younger generations might challenge the definition that older generations have of professionalism. Um, you know, and sometimes it's mentioned too in the context of, of remote work, like that we've really lost a lot in terms of professionalism. Do you think that that's really the case? Is, is professionalism, is it on the decline 
at all? Is it something we need to be worried about and the organization should be worried about? Or is it just that we're thinking of it in the wrong way? Or talk to me about this dilemma that might exist or might not. I don't care. You go. I've got something to say, but you go. You go. No, all you right, go. Then, I, then I'm going to go first. Um, do I think professionalism is on the decline? I ha I don't want to be one of these old gray beards that complains and tells people, get off my yard, little boy. You know, I don't want to be that person. However, I will say that, that when the focus shifts to yourself and not so much to others, whether the others be uh, others in authority or others that are your customers or others that are people you want to do business with, when the focus is all on self, then it's all about what I want, what I want to do, how I want to carry myself, etc. And for me, I was brought up in a time where it, professionalism was about focusing outward, not inward. Mm -hmm. My definition of professionalism has, has always been the advanced level at which isolated individuals perform their tasks and activities. But the key being on two words, advanced and isolated, meaning that good enough to get by is simply not a good enough to be a professional. I, I, that's what I believe. And then in isolation means that you are every bit the professional when no one is watching as you are when someone is overseeing, even supervising your activity. Mm -hmm. So the professional is the one that does what he or she knows they need to do, not because they have to, but because they have a commitment to a higher level of performance. We call it professionalism, but, but that's sort of my attitude. It is a learned skill and unfortunately, I don't think we're teaching it. Alice and I are, or at least we're attempting to teach it to this next generation of leaders. But unfortunately, I don't think that enough people are teaching professionalism, at least the way I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to learn it myself. Agree. And so I never say but, because I feel like that discounts what I'm for. So agree. And I feel like I just broke out in a sweat a little bit because professionalism <laughs> gets me hot and bothered, if I can say that. <laughs> because I think what we have is if we think about older generations, even Xers, I mean, it, just go back to people who are like in their 50s right now. Whenever they were coming into the workforce, most people looked, talked, and thought a certain way. If they were reading the news, if they were watching TV, if they were watching mom and dad get up and iron their clothes and like they owned an ironing board. I don't even own an ironing board. They Do you want to I don't. I, I have a dryer. I'll spray something and throw it in the dryer. Well, anyways, they learned the idea of professionalism was all the same. Now we have so many different people in the workforce, so many different ways to get information. I wouldn't I would just say there are lots of different definitions of professionalism that there's not professionalism is still not this certain standard. The advanced level, I agree, but advanced level means different things to different people. So I think when it comes to professionalism, if we can be better as leaders, as individuals, lead ourselves better, communicate our expectations, what do we want? What is going to make us see you as a professional in our mind? It might have nothing to do with what you wear or what you look like, or if you log on five minutes late to our Zoom call, it might just have everything to do with you turn everything in on time. Or I never have to wonder where you are or what you're working on. You communicate so well. Someone else, they might say, I don't care that you communicate well. You look like junk when you walk in the door. If we would be better about communicating our expectations, 
then I think there will be less of a rub around professionalism altogether. Yeah. Jen, I'm going to tell you something. Your question came as close to getting Allison and I going here. Yeah. So I, I applaud you. That's pretty good. I like that, you know? No, it's good. And I mean, what I think one of the issues it raises is a lot of times people associate professionalism with a certain external performance or sort of maybe, I don't want to say superficial necessarily, because I understand that, you know, dress and neatness of appearance, those sorts of things, you know, your language choice, those, those definitely matter. And Allison, your point to the fact that, you know, we have to communicate, and understand the circumstance, like what's important in this situation, what's important to this person or organization, maybe those things really matter. Um, but that, you know, it, it, professionalism might not necessarily always be tied to more superficial external traits that might be, you know, in terms of the performance or your orientation toward things as well. And so there might be a misconception too, that it's just purely performative. I think, I think you're right on, both of you are right on. And I think that this conversation about professionalism, what it is, what it looks like, the expectations that we need to communicate. I think that's a conversation that needs to go on, not just on this podcast, but it should go on in offices and in boardrooms and across dinner tables. I think that this is something that, that could be exceptionally valuable for a lot of people for a long time. And I'm glad you brought it. With all joking aside, I'm glad you brought the subject up there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I'm gonna throw you a little bit of a curveball here and do something I wasn't planning on doing, but I think, I just feel like it'll be so good that we're gonna do it. We're gonna play a game, are you ready? Ready. I'm gonna tell you how this works, okay. I'm gonna say a word and I want you to tell me the word that just pops to mind. Like what word do you associate with the word that I'm gonna say? And you have to say it at the same time. This oh, okay. is dangerous. This is yeah. really dangerous here. I love it though. <laughs> yes, Jim. You ready? It's gonna be fun. Okay, this is what I get to do when I have two guests on the, the show here and I've never had that. So this is really it's exciting for me. Okay, ready? The first word, success. Choices. I thought of trophies. Choices, choices. Okay, gotcha. Joby, it's very telling. Okay, ready. The second one, communication. Talk more. Connection. Good, good. Yeah, connection. I like that. I like that. Okay, professionalism. Um, I thought of stuffy. Stuffy. That's what I thought of. I thought of performance. Good, good. Okay, yeah. All right, last one. We'll do leadership. Service. Mm, I just thought of heart, which is. I love that. Okay, I'm going to do one more. I'm going to do one more because it just inspired me. Empathy. Oh, I thought of love. And I would say love too. Interestingly enough, mm -hmm. that was a word that was in my mind. You love people enough to be empathetic with the, regarding their situation. So we are we are on the same uh, yeah, on great. the same wavelength there. That's great. Yeah, I really I really like that. Okay, so just last question here. Um, you know, the shifting professional landscape, a lot of things have changed. People might feel sort of unmoored right now. There's just so much in the world that's changing. How can professionals remain flexible and resilient um, and still feel fulfilled in their work in today's world? Like, what do you think are some key things that people need to do to still find joy and purpose and be flexible with everything that's going on? Do you have an idea? Yeah, I do, but go, go ahead. ahead. I, a couple things quickly got popped in my mind. Listen more than you talk. Mm. There's so many times that we want to tell people what we know and what we're going to do and why. But if we'll listen first and then respond second, 
oftentimes it opens our mind up to being able to accept and receive more information and a different perspective. The second thing is, and it goes back to the word just a minute ago, is empathy. Empathy, you know, having an empathy, a love, a concern, a care for other people can really can really broaden our horizons in ways that that just reading a book. And I, you know, I'm a book fan, but but you know, we not only read the book, we try to put the contents of the book in perspective mm -hmm. and into practice. Perspective and practice relative to love and empathy, I think, are really important, and it can change it can change horizons, in my opinion. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I will just piggyback off the empathy thing and say, um, when we're trying to achieve success and we're trying to work hard, there's so much out there that can upset us or derail us. And I, I think if we really have an empathy perspective, when we encounter somebody who rubs us the wrong way, when we have grumpy cat handing us our food through the drive-thru, whatever it is, we can think, you know, they, if we just stop for a second and say, before I get upset, let me realize that they may have stuff going on in their life that I know nothing about. And this may be low on their priority list. And that's fine. I don't have to be first through everything. And then the other thing I'll just finish with saying is um, in a world where I feel like it's very much a what else can I get? What else can I do in order to be happy, to be successful? I think being willing to say, no, this is enough. Or I'm just clearly focused on what is my end game here, my big goal, not being distracted by everything else that looks good, that may feel good, but being really focused and being able to say no to something. I think is really helpful in today's world. I don't know if she's remembering this or not, but either chapter 29 or chapter 30 of Accelerate Your Success is called The Positive No. So read read that chapter and it can be very helpful on that point mm -hmm. alone. And that, that, was that one wasn't written by me, I don't even think. That's <laughs> uh, definitely a helpful helpful chapter. Um, and Allison, I really loved your, your one about the Legos. Um, and getting the kids to, you know, invite and join in, uh, you know, is really important. Learn so many leadership lessons and life lessons from so many of the stories that that one hit home. So if you haven't read it already, everyone out there, make sure that you get a copy of Accelerate Your Success. Um, you can read it, you know, in 30 days, one, um, you know, chapter a day, or you can go through it however, you know, you wish, but just a great way. I mean, I found a great way to really start your morning, just ground yourself in these principles and, and ideas. And there's space for taking notes and, and journaling as well, which I think is just really lovely for people. And I've heard that people really enjoy that element as well. So thank you so much, both of you for being on the show and talking with us today about these really important things. Um, yeah, everyone, thank you so much. Thank you. Jim, this has been a good day and you made it even better. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.